Hey, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Uncomfortable. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Thank you so much for tuning in to Uncomfortable, the podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Roach, and in this episode, I talk shame and vulnerability with Rebecca Ching. Rebecca Ching is a therapist, speaker, writer, leadership consultant, and workshop facilitator. She is a CEO and founder of Potentia Family Therapy, Inc., a brick-and-mortar integrated mental health practice based in San Diego, California. She also works with business leaders and helps them navigate the intersection of mindset and mental health in their communities via her integrated leadership collective based on systems theory, the research of Brenny Brown, PhD, and internal family systems. She lives in San Diego, California with her husband and her two children where they enjoy cooking, going to farmers markets and all things ocean and outdoor sports. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation but as always there will be some adult language so when you're listening it's always best to pop those headphones on. Enjoy. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me on Uncomfortable, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm really excited because I, you know, will mention that we've known one another for, for quite a while. So I know a lot about what you do. And I know that the theme we're discussing today has been something that comes up in pretty much every episode of this podcast. So I'd love uh, for you just to share a little insight into your world, who you are and what you do. <laughs> I've got a few hats. Um, but <laughs> I have got a couple of things going on professionally. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist for 16, going on 17 years now. Um, I own an integrative mental health practice where we've got therapists, dietitian, yoga, all under the same roof. And we treat the whole person, the whole spectrum of mental health struggles and offer specialized care around trauma, anxiety, shame and perfection, struggles, eating disorders, addiction, compulsive behaviors, perinatal mental health, and also starting a new specialty with entrepreneurs and emotional wellness. So very excited about that. And I'm also starting another company where I'm working with established entrepreneurs um, and leaders around um, what we call, what I'm calling integrated leadership. So they can show up at home and at work um, and aligned with what matters most and not sacrifice their well-being, their relationships, and their ROI um, in the name of getting things done. So that's been really fun too. Yeah, I I did check out your website. I know since uh, I worked with you in the past, it looks like you've got some new programs and workshops on the way. So I will make sure to share the links to those in our show notes so that our listeners can check that out. So we're talking about shame again. 
every uncomfortable topic, it's almost the underlying theme is shame. So why do you think in all your experience, why do you think shame is so uncomfortable? Hmm. I will say this. I'm going to answer these questions from the lens of the research of Brene Brown. I am certified uh, Dairy facilitator, facilitator and also a consultant with her work. I'm an early adopter in it. I've been doing workshops in this work for over seven years. So my answers are going to filter through that lens and mm-hmm. get grand. I want to make clear. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of her, but we're going to get really granular on that. So, so again, your question is why shame? Can you say that again? So why it's so uncomfortable like just, yeah. we can, it's something that we can sit in. We do everything to, you know, avoid feeling shame. And even when we do feel it, it's like we're ashamed of feeling shame. You nailed it. Oh gosh, there's so much right there. So why is it uncomfortable? Because its main message is, or an experience of it is the intensely painful feeling or fear of not being worthy of love and belonging. So I'm sure many people have heard people heard Brene say this, but let's unpack that. It's the feeling of not being worthy of love and belonging. If we look at love and belonging as our oxygen to our soul, to our existence, then that's going to send us into a panic that that threat, it is life-threatening that we are not going to experience that connection, which literally our souls, our DNA, our physiology, our emotion, our psyche crave. And shame comes in and says, you're not worthy of it. Who do you think you are? So that threat, it feels life threatening. It's emotional. It has very loud cognitive thoughts and it's visceral, it's physiological, it's somatic. So um, it is probably the most uh, toxic and devastating emotion one can feel. So that's why. Yeah. It's, it is terrifying, I think, when you feel that way. I mean, just experience in my life, if I've done something that I'm then ashamed of, it's a feeling that just doesn't seem to leave my body for a long time. It can take days to recover. Yep, it sure can. And that's where, and I know we're going to get into this, but you know, you say that you said shame is terrifying. And it's less terrifying for me now because I have things in place that I understand it. But man, we, we often talk about in the Daring Way community, shame work is trauma work and trauma work is shame work. They're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. And then shame work and trauma work usher their way into grief work, which is another emotion we work very hard not to feel. So, and then and where they're all located in our brain. So it, it really depends there's that terror of losing that oxygen, that connection. And then depending on our, each of our unique stories, um, it can tap into other pains, traumas, disappointments, betrayals, um, failures, falls, um, perfectionism, you name it, of what we're storing in our brain and in our body. So it is. it finds any of the little doubts and the pains and the hurts that haven't been released from our nervous system yet, and it blows them up too. And it can be disorienting. Um, and it really is soul crushing. And it, it squashes the light of way, way too many people. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, I wow, a hundred percent agree. Now, in terms of you know, if kind of not overcoming, but perhaps like normalizing shame, like what can we do when we we feel we've done something that we're ashamed of? What can we do to kind of overcome it and then even help others so that okay. it, it doesn't feel so uncomfortable all the time? So let me address that maybe in a three-prong approach. First, normalizing shame. If you are not a sociopath or a zombie, you are open to experiencing the spectrum of human emotion and shame is part of it. Since we're on audio, you did give me a little smile for my zombie joke. Yeah, I I did. (laughs) I loved it. And so some people may think, oh, I don't feel shame. So my sociopath, most people are just so armored up from feeling empathy and compassion and even the good stuff to let, to keep the bad out. So I want to make sure that that statement doesn't get turned around. And, um, no, I have this like weird zombie apocalypse thing, which is so not my personality, but (laughs) it's like the epitome of vulnerability. I can't watch those movies. Yeah. I'm I'm not a zombie fan myself, but yeah. (laughs) That's terror, terror for me. So to normalize shame, if you are in relationship, if you care about things and people and have dreams and goals, if you've experienced difficult things, you've lived life, you're human, you will experience shame. It isn't a flaw. And there have been definitely many, many toxic messages externally that if you're having times of doubt and shame spirals and discomfort, you're doing something wrong. And I call BS to that. So, and shame loves that. And so I don't believe in overcoming shame. I feel like that conversation is dangerous, but we want to learn how to respond to shame in a way that we are aligned with our values, what matters most, our integrity, so that we look back on it and go, okay, I was a hot mess there, but I didn't spew it too much on myself or others. Like that's like, that's a win. If I'm like, ooh, I hurt less people this time. I didn't take this out on myself last time. So shame is always lurking, always, always present. If we're doing something new and different, where there's something risky or uncertain. And if, if we don't have some of those tools in place and practices in place, and especially people who have been struggling chronically with physical or mental health issues for a long time, we feel really vulnerable and we get so locked in our head. And so shame loves to isolate. Shame loves, loves, loves fear. Not the like protective fear that there's a snake, poison snake coming by and you need to run or a zombie coming, you need to run. But it's like, if anyone sees me, I'm going to experience overwhelming shame. So I need to hide. Um, If I dare to show up and do something that is say something that's important. Um, And so shame really is the light squelcher emotion. At its heart, it's protective um, and it's destructive in in how it goes about protecting us. So if you stay small, if you stay invisible, you stay quiet, you just keep the bar low on who you think you are and what you deserve, then maybe you'll be okay. I think that's maybe the most altruistic, generous perspective on it, I would say, and that's where I fuse in another lens I have called internal family systems, looking at our complex internal systems. So at the same time, the actual experience of it emotionally and physically and psychologically 
is painful and our brains are hardwired to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. So any threat to being taken under by this difficult emotion, we go and then to, to great measures and that's where we numb, we detach and that's where we distract, we avoid, we have walls instead of boundaries or no boundaries and our people pleasing and all those other things are trying to back up to keep us from filling that but we end end up getting entrenched in even more with all these different things in place. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And, you know, I'm just thinking, as you kind of said that, you know, the staying under the radar, you know, that thought that maybe if I just stay under the radar and I shut up and I don't do this, I'll be okay. It's like I won't experience shame. And I can speak personally to that because having a podcast where you talk about uncomfortable things, I always have this massive fear that one of my topics is going to offend someone or, you know, someone's going to be really upset. And there's been points where I've just thought, why am I doing this? Just stop. Just don't do this, even though I know it's needed. And I just want to hide under a blanket and forget the whole thing. So for someone like me who is in that moment, what can we do to get out of it? Well, should we get out of it? Well, yeah, eventually we need to breathe. Um, We need to, I've got 10 blankets. I've got wonderful blankets to cocoon under. And I think that it's looking at shame as something we respond to. doesn't mean we at least in like the North American culture, Mm. we're like, suck it up, chin up, push on through. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable, right? But here's the thing. I want to circle back on something you said. You said, you know, I'm worried because you're like, I'm talking about these hot topics on uncomfortable, your uncomfortable podcast. And you might offend someone. Here's the gig you're going to, like fact. And you already have. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like done. And what shame gets us confused on is, you offending somebody by showing up and following a dream, a vision that's carefully thought out. Um, and you're very aware of the tender nature of these topics and that it could be complex and wanting to invite conversation around that, but not wanting to do harm. You're very, I know that about you, mm-hmm. um, but you are going to, and you have probably offended people. Um, and so shame would say, well, that's not who you are. You got to be kind. You got to be nice. You got to be good. You have everyone happy with you. I, I, that's just not realistic. Now we can go the other spectrum. And when people say F it, I don't care what anyone thinks. Well, they shut down their capacity for compassion and empathy mm. and connection there. When we say that we don't give any fucks, that's actually shutting down connection and compassion and empathy there. So that's a dangerous place. And that's a powerful protector and shame is right there cheering that one on. Mm. So, so I feel like I look at those feelings as data that I'm okay. I'm getting ready to do something brave. I'm getting ready to do something where I don't know the end result. I don't have everything figured out. And Debbie, I know you're a planner. You like to organize. I'm that way too. And so we're entering into this space of what Brene calls vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. And that's risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. Again, all things dangerous to our brains. But when I, so I hear that and go, oh man, you're onto something then because you're putting it all out there. You've done it in a thoughtful way, an intentional way. Um, your, your, your heart is true and it's scary because you're, you don't want to hurt people um, intentionally you know, and that maybe something is a, you know, who knows mm-hmm. but I think that so many of us then stay small, or I might go have someone write a review that just eviscerates me. 
and might tell me who just, you need to stop talking and never have anyone hear you speak again or something horribly cruel, which I don't believe at all. But um, I mean, I dress rehearse the critics. I've got, a, I've got a whole like novel full of things that people have said, or I think might say hmm. that I'm prepared for. So for me, when I hear you say, sometimes I just want to not do it. This is too exhausting. This is too exposed, too uncertain at times. I should just shut it down. Then I know you're on to something mm. important, big, or at least to stay curious about it. And, and it's, a, it's a nuanced thing because there's times where it's like, we need to rethink our boundaries, our choices, our plans, and take navigate it. But if that's only inner feedback and not anyone you trust giving you that feedback, then that's a flag that that's shame saying, listen, it's going to get really painful. You better just shut it all down. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if that, that makes sense. So to me, it's not about overcoming shame. It's developing practices to respond to shame that are aligned with what matters most. We call it values. Mm -hmm. um, aligned with my integrity, with your integrity. Um, and there's some, I mean, there's definitely some things I do. Like when I am in shame, and anyone's in shame, no one should be near technology when they're in shame. Hmm. We need to shut yeah. it down. We need to get away from email and texting and phone and, and social media. All the things where we can receive and respond. When when I am in shame, that is like I am not good for human consumption or to be engaging in a conversation. Harder to do with my husband because we mm -hmm. live together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I send myself to timeout. Sometimes shame can sneak up out of nowhere and you're like, I didn't even see that it was there yeah. even for the best of us. So it's getting used to its mantras, its fears and concerns. It, it, it's getting really clear on what it feels like in my body and everyone feels it in their body, but everyone feels it differently. So that's mm -hmm. part of what we do in my workshops, um, help really get so clear on some of these key things so that you can start to develop a shame resilience practice. Mm. Here's the thing. It's not about getting rid of it. It's not about pushing. It's, it's not even pushing back. It's just responding and saying, I see you and no, thank you. And then sometimes you can just, when you are all in and if someone were to write a horrible review or say something horrible and it takes you out, the good news is you rise quicker mm. than we forget to convalesce when we have shame spirals or vulnerability hangovers. And sometimes we need to take the time. And for some people, we can bounce back quickly. Some people, it's a little bit longer depending on their story and what happened. And we don't offer self-compassion. And that really is really such a, a maintenance piece of shame resilience. So, so I'll pause there. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's anything yeah. You know, there's there are a couple of things came up. One, it did actually remind me of um, listening to Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer, and she said a similar thing about fear, how fear is always there. But she would just kind of turn around and say, hi, fear, my old friend, I know you're there, but you're not sitting in the front seat with me today. So it's kind of a similar, you know, having to change the narrative, if that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't. She actually did some IFS work and she's a big mm, front. I okay. So you can't be brave or courageous without fear. <laughs> it's just, the, it's just the physics of it. So that's why when Brandon talks about choosing courage over comfort, 
sometimes we need comfort to convalesce and to heal. Um, this, this podcast isn't always comfortable for you. Does it mean that you should shut it down? Your nervous system on a primitive level says, oh, yes, please. Um, but when you look at your values, your dream, your vision, your integrity, you'd be out of integrity with what's mm -hmm. bubbling up inside of you to not do this. Yeah. Um, and so fear is a protective, it was originally made to keep us safe. And then it got distorted, obviously, especially in modern Western culture. And we really, really judge fear and we're critical of it in others and ourselves. It's all data, shame, fear, all of it. It's just, if we start to get more critically aware, which is a part of shame resilience. Wow. I know I am identifying this as a shame narrative. Ah, hello, shame. Ah, hello, fear. And yeah, if we're leading our life from a place of courage and clarity and calm and confidence versus from these parts of us that are trying to keep us small or criticize us or people please or the things that burn us out and exhaust us, that's the work. But that is a lot of nuanced work. Like mm -hmm. I said, shame work is trauma work. Trauma work is shame work. But one of the aspects of shame resilience is just even naming it. It hates to be spoken. So when I just say, hey, this just went down, or I just felt this, or thought this, or saw this, or you name it, to somebody who's earned that right, then, then the shame shrinks. And I found when I don't have that person, sometimes I just say it out loud by myself, <laughs> talk to myself, to my system. You know, I mean, seriously, it's, it's a beautiful thing these days because everyone has like speakers in their cars and little, yeah. and I'm, I'm talking to myself. You think I'm talking? And when I'm like, all right, let's talk this through. Let me get curious about this. Oh, totally. It, it's great. You know, even you when you see someone on the street talking to themselves, you just assume they're on the phone now. Totally, yeah. totally. So I feel like that's it. And, and what, to say, you know, you can't overcome shame, but you can respond to it differently is probably a tough thing to hear for someone who's probably in it and been in it for a mm. long time. So this is like, and I, I've, I've seen that in folks, I've worked with folks, like I'm tired of this. Um, it's, it's important to keep on because shame will say it's just time to give up and stop. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the lie because it never, ever, ever, ever is to me. Um, that, that's, that's just from that space. It's mm -hmm. not time to give up from the space of, from leading from shame is what I'm saying. Um, and that's where I feel like it really, really mains so many lives and relationships and so much creativity, uh, um, so much innovation. So, but it is painful and we just intellectualize the heck out of this stuff and it is brutal to feel it. And it's also brutal to feel courage mm. and vulnerable. It's hard. Yeah. It's not Mel Gibson on his horse doing his thing, you know? <laughs> Um, we just watched uh, Captain Marvel yesterday for oh, the second nice. time. Yeah, so good. And um, I think we all wish we could like shoot things from our fists. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think that shifting the mindset around overcoming versus responding mm -hmm. to recognizing your own unique shame triggers. Listen, you and I both feel shame, but what's going to light you up is not going to light me up mm -hmm. necessarily. And I think sometimes that's where people get disoriented. They think, oh, well, that doesn't shame me, but it shames her. So maybe this is it. And we all have our own unique shame triggers. 
And usually they're around things we care deeply about. Yeah. My family, my faith, my profession. That's where I feel the most vulnerable and I'm more, most prone to shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that critical awareness of recognizing the shame narratives and then having someone to speak it to. Mm-hmm. And if you, and, and, and I always, Brene said this in the gifts of imperfection, and I think it needs to be on billboards. Am I speaking to the right person about the right thing at the right time? How do you know, like, if, who is the right person to talk to about this? I think, um, I think this is probably one of the hardest things, right? Because um, sometimes, like, even like my husband or some good friends or dear colleagues, I want them to be ready and they're just not in a good place. Mm. That's where I have to show, how do I show up for myself? Even if there isn't somebody outside of my system, me, you know, how do I have compassion for the parts of me that are drowning in shame? Even if there isn't somebody else out there, I can at least go, yeah, this was so shameful. This was excruciating. Um, Yes. We can watch Netflix right now on the couch with 10 blankets um, and, you know, no, we got to show up a little bit more for the kids and then we're going to convalesce in the room later or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I feel like though, the, the spectrum, some of our closest, aren't, we're not perfect, but there's also an epidemic of loneliness mm-hmm. and people that are around a lot of people, but not feeling connected or seen or heard. And so sometimes it's risky I mean, we're talking, if someone's like in a life or death situation, calling or texting the suicide hotlines, and I'll mm-hmm. make sure you have those for your, mm-hmm. your notes. I, I, there's some great, amazing people working there. If you're at that, that's, I have people use them all the time because I'd rather somebody be connected than alone. We are worse alone by ourselves mm-hmm. um, in that. So, but I think these are people that have earned the right over time to hear our story. Mm. and I think that is really key um and and again I want to speak that there might be people who don't feel like they have that person but they have that in themselves and how to do that for themselves and have compassion for the parts that are holding so much pain Mm -hmm. I mean I know for myself I did luckily find a very good you know therapist um, and I, I guess maybe I lucked out first time, but I've known other people who, you know, go to therapy and they like the therapist, but they didn't feel it was working for them. So I know that it can take a long time, but I'm always, you know, it was easier for me to speak to a professional than it was to tell my family or friends that I thought I suffered from anxiety or even my partner that I feel like I suffer from anxiety and those are the people that to me should have earned the right to know that first, but it was so hard to tell them because I didn't want them. Yeah. Keep going with it. You didn't want them Mm -hmm. what? Like seeing me in another light or family feeling that they've let me down, that they should have known that they should have stepped in. You know, I didn't want to be a burden. Okay. Let's pause Mm -hmm. here because I think talking gold, right? You didn't want to be misunderstood. It is amazing the lengths that we go to to avoid being misunderstood, mm-hmm. especially by people that we care about. Um, you didn't want people who love you deeply to feel bad. So then you were your boundaries were to you were taking on their emotion and not letting them hold it. And I don't know how many people say they don't want to be a burden. That is something. Is, I hear this with women a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's a condition. 
Um, and so, and then there's, then there's like this weird, maybe not for you, was there bitterness or resentment or judgment that you weren't sharing it? Or was it more you were protecting yourself from them hurting because you couldn't add to their hurt to your anxiety? Yeah, that's the second part. It was the, okay. definitely wasn't resentment. It was more just protection. Okay. Cause I hear both sometimes too, but, and I think that's where being brave is, right? Mm-hmm. Is I'm going to dare to trust your love for me and share this. And sometimes it will fail epically. And then the family member comes back and is like, I didn't show up for you. I'm here now. I'm sorry. And we get to rumble with that. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah, we know we've seen you struggling. We're waiting for you to tell us. We didn't want to be intrusive or something, you know? So I mean, those are great scenario. Not, well, the first one is in a great scenario where someone hurts us when we dare to show up, but the circle back is, are, is powerful. Or when someone says, Hey, how are you, Debbie? And you're like, I'm fine. And you get to go, you know what? I'm going to call you back. I'm not fine. Mm-hmm. I'm on hot messing it. I'm a badass at having everyone look like looking like I'm fine and everyone think I'm fine. Um, but I'm really struggling. I don't need any bits of advice. I just want you to know. Mm-hmm. That's it. I want you to know, cause this has been hard. And, and I, I just feel like shame really messes with our ability to be courageous in sharing our story. Right. Yeah. And it says, who do you think you are? And other people have it worse and, or you've been feeling this way for so long. Everyone's going to be tired of you struggling with this or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, but the more we don't speak our shame, the more we don't speak it to even to our system out loud, the more we don't get curious about where it shows up in our body and what it sounds like uniquely to us, the more that we, it runs our life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it was interesting kind of you just saying, you know, it's courageous to share your story and you really should. And I was listening to another podcast of people who were sharing their stories um, of sexual abuse and there was a, you know, a First Nations gentleman who came forward so many years. He was um, an elder, I think, in his community. And he talked about abuse that he'd gone through when he was in residential schools. And But he said, you know, I had to come forward and it just feels like a relief, like I finally had the courage to come forward. And for something, you know, as devastating is that it's there was so much shame that he felt but then there was that courage and that's a huge step that can take probably a long long time right and it's important to note and i think this is where i mean and Brittany keeps writing about it and speaking mm-hmm. about it i feel like it's still an area that people are it's it's hard to really um figure out how to practice that and that when you're sharing your story, it's deeply vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. But it, 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 am I, if, if I'm sharing something deeply, that's vulnerable to me. That's, and if I'm sharing anything that's vulnerable to me and I have not asked permission to share it and there's not boundaries around it, then it ceases to be vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's something else. And, and again, we do this imperfectly. Sometimes we just get blah and it comes out and you're like, oh my gosh. I didn't mean to do that, but I mean, we even see this in the business arena, like vulnerability as a marketing tool, mm-hmm. oh, you know, and empathy is a marketing tool. Um, and, and I, and I don't want to throw it all out. I think it's important, but 
if we're really not practicing that on a deep level internally, people are going to pick up on it and call BS to it. So, but that the element of being able even to speak your shame to yourself, even mm-hmm. if, and there's going to be a point, especially with folks who have been through things like the man you just mentioned, there's almost an essential part of their recovery that they have to speak up. It's almost, mm-hmm. they'll feel it from within. It's like this thing that like has to get out. And I see that with survivors I work with all the time. Um, but I see this with, with also leaders too. Like sometimes the biggest fear is being seen as needing anything. They mm-hmm. don't want to be needing. They have to be seen as knowing it all. They can't be seen as struggling, let yeah. alone with a reoccurring issue. There's so much shame around, oh, if their, their mental health struggles come back or their, their marriage struggles are back or um, they're wrestling with a health issue again, there's this shame just says, oh yeah, people are over you. Don't ever let anyone see you sweat. Yeah. And that I think is slowly killing us. Oh yeah. We're not sharing that. And, and it really, we really can't tell someone, you just need to share your story. You know, what we can do is just sit with (laughs) for that. And you touched on to sometimes it is a paid professional or a coach or somebody that it's not in your family or a personal friend. And it's hard to find that person, but it's a worthy journey Mm. to find that right fit for sure. Definitely. Now you touched on um, something there that uh, just spoke to me so much, especially in the business world, because I know I still classify myself as an entrepreneur and how we always have to look like we have our shit together. And it's like that constant reach for perfectionism Mm -hmm. and it's killing us. And, you know, it's businesses. Yes. You know, and if you aren't perfect, then it's almost like shame comes up again because you're not this perfect person. So as a business owner yourself, how do you navigate that? You know, I have to be ridiculously clear of where I'm all in with the work that I do, but it's not defining who I am. And that's a constant tension. That's a constant tension. I feel like I'm finally, this is new to me. And Mm -hmm. I'm in my late 40s now, which is weird to say, but I can start to pick up when I'm doing something that's hustly and nummy that I know that shame's around related to my business. Um, but that my worthiness is never, ever, ever here. This is a fact. It's never on the table. Yours, mm-hmm. mine, anyone's. It's never on the table for negotiation. It just is. We are worthy, but we have given it up and externalized it. And I think we think we have it all down, but we know the right things to say. Mm-hmm. And so navigating, caring deeply about something being all into something and knowing it will hurt if it doesn't work out or if it's misunderstood or there's rejection or disappointment and falls and failures. And I've been through all of that. Um, That's part of the gig. And I feel like what I'm starting to piece out, especially within the business space, whether it's corporate or the online world, there's this insidiousness of, of patriarchy, of the system of patriarchy um, and this toxic masculinity. Um, mm. and again, genders, both all gender spectrum can be perpetuators of this and be perpetuated by it. Um, and I believe they are. 
And so it's just this, this stuff of suck it up and push through and raw. And it's like, that's just, that's where so much darkness comes from. So, and that we really, our brains believe what they see when we see something on social or a movie or commercial, um, you name it. So even though we can go, oh no, it's just fake. And they've filtered this and they really weren't in this beautiful place with their million dollar business. It still sinks into our nervous system that way. Um, And if we aren't so crystal clear where our worthiness lies, we're so vulnerable to buying into the shiny, happy, sparkly. And I don't think there's anything wrong with success. Um, I just... I think at the end of the day, it's like, are we defining success only in the metrics of ROI, but what's our health and what's our relationship? My favorite podcast, I think it's still my favorite podcast interview with Brene is believe it or not with Tim Ferriss. Oh, I am a Tim Ferriss fan. He's the interviewer. Perfect. He's fabulous one. It was four years, four or five years ago when she was um, doing interviews around rising strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, the book that came out right after Darren Greatly. And there's this, there's two moments there where first he asks, okay, so shame is good for some people. Um, right. And like, like, like child abusers, like they deserve our shame. And Brian goes, no. <laughs> and he was like, we're got a little, I mean, and for Tim to feel stumbling over mm-hmm. his word. And so she basically said that if you have someone perpetrating this and in a place of shame, um, they're going to stay silent. They're going to keep it small. They're going to do whatever they can to protect it. Um, but if someone's moving in a place of guilt, which Brene says is more correlated, let's say like shame is I am bad mm-hmm. and guilt is something bad. So again, the worthiness piece, there's a little bit of separation. Like who am I to be doing these things? I need help. Right. And so we still need to get people that are perpetuating horrible things like that out of the, out of contact with humanity. They need to be separated but it was this moment of no, it never, it hurts the person we're giving it to and receiving it. Mm. Other part, which actually kind of inspired the, my second company was how they were talking about perfectionism. He's like, okay, my community is a bunch of perfectionists. And so this is good. Right. And then we started kind of unpacking it, realizing they both knew a lot of people. And I think we see this too, who are very successful, yeah. um, well-known their, their, their businesses are doing well, but their personal lives are in a shambles. Mm-hmm. What makes them really successful at work does not translate into those other things personally that we so need and so crave. And so I just thought that nailed what I was seeing in my office yeah. with the leaders I was working with and kind of what I've seen in all my careers. And so I, I just wanted to point those things out um, because it really is never an effective tool. And when we're not integrating, um, we're going to, we're going to, you know, to be successful at work and in our personal lives, that takes a lot of work and that's not necessarily Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes um, making hard choices that aren't trendy and fashionable, but when you're lonely and shame is running the show, we're very vulnerable mm-hmm. to some of these things that just, I want the fantasy. Can I have a break from my life? Yes. <laughs> And I think we can convalesce and take a break and do things. And it's hard. We got to do it differently. Yeah. Um, we just have to do it differently. And I, I think there's a reckoning going on. And I think a lot of people are hungry for something, something different. I think um, like you hit the nail on the head. 
you know, when it comes to seeing people who you think their lives are perfect because their Instagram feed is, you know, beautiful and they kind of, it looks like they're completely successful. And one reason I started this podcast was because I was so like intrigued when I would see someone who completely looked like they had their career, their relationship, everything, their shit was together. And yet I would have a conversation with them and they would open up about how difficult their business is, that they're not actually making money or they're making lots of money, but their relationship's a mess. And it was almost like the real person was there. And that's what I wanted to see because I could relate to that. And that's the stories I wanted to hear. I want to know that, you know, you've got a successful business, but it's not easy because it's not. And that, that was the stories that kind of got me started in all this. So do you start, can you see like a trend of people now becoming more open and honest about, you know, not having the perfect work-life balance, a a term that kind of drives me nuts? Well, there's no such thing. Balance is perfectionism dressed as a sheep. Um, I think it's like the container (laughs) store. You know, we want it all to be organized. It's like, that's, if you're living a life to the fullest and you're doing your passions, there's messy. Here's the thing. I don't want to buy from, trust from, trust in, um, be a part of someone who is not going to model what it's like to rise from struggles and how to learn from their falls. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just, I, I'm done with it. Um, and, and some people want to buy the dream and the, the, I think I suspect your listeners are done with that. And so mm-hmm. in the communities that I'm surrounding myself with and in, involved with, yeah, I mean, one, one community I'm in with a bunch of female CEOs and the, the, the facilitators, like, here's where I don't have my shit together and just listed all this stuff. And everyone was sharing where they don't have their shit together. And it wasn't this hot wiring. It was just like, we are doing really well and things are really hard. And while some things might be good going at home, some things are hard at business, some things are hard at business, and then we're navigating it. And it's not, I used to resent and almost pivot, put my family and my work against each other. And I was setting up this false dichotomy that was a vice grip of shame versus no, I'm not going to have them competing. They're all on the same table together. And if one's not well, the other's not well. Mm. Um, And so I am seeing some shifts, but I think it's going to be a slow pivot because shame and scarcity are good business. Um, and everyone's to do the work of really practicing shame resilience and doing trauma work and grief work and just being self-aware. There's nothing efficient or expedient about it. Like I just saw someone I started following on social, um, saying like, if, if, if not everything, if something, if anything in your life is not giving you momentum, then it's doing the opposite. And I was like, but how do you know? Sometimes it feels like you're not going anywhere and you're just chipping away an iceberg and all of a sudden the iceberg's gone. Yeah. Like I'm like, like, I'm like, oh, that's the stuff that can just mess with people's heads. I I'm, know. Circle back, I'm gonna circle back with this entrepreneur because I'm like, dude, I'm back this more. Cause I think it's like, oh, you're not serving momentum, but it's like, no, sometimes you're in the weeds. You sometimes you're just in the weeds and it's you're looking at someone who has on the other side of something with having a successful launch or you know, a program or whatever the thing is, a product. Um, and the comparison piece yeah. is tricky. 
and it's always there. It's very protective. Um, it's just so keeping in our lane of what are my values? What's my why? Who are my people that are going to tell me if I need to take a pause? You know, where's my, and am I open to feedback? And I mean, what what we say at, 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 I mean, I say this in everything I do, I say to my brick and mortar business at Potentia, but so everything is beta because I always have all these Mm -hmm. ideas. And then I would shame myself. My Midwestern work ethic would be like, you're a quitter if I didn't follow through on it. And then I'd be doing something I was miserable at and didn't think it was effective. But now it's just like, oh, collected data. Nope. So about 80, 90% of the things I think about need to not have light shed upon them. But it gave me permission to play with that. But I had to detach with how other people saw that. And, you know, perfectionism, criticism, judgment, all those things are super contagious. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting you say that because I've just done um, a series of interviews on for millennials on kind of not being able to settle down in the one job, like that expectation it used to be where you would have one job and that was you for the rest of the life and how that's changed. And um, even as an entrepreneur, the funny thing was most of them that I spoke to did have some sort of like entrepreneurial mindset because they maybe had a side gig going on as well as working a job or they were a freelancer and one of the things I was asking was you know like when the shame comes up like do you ever feel shame around just not being able to be in one job and just do it and you know everyone agreed yes we do but at the same time I don't want to be sitting in one place thinking I could have done all these amazing things and even just tried like even just tried and that's how I feel as an entrepreneur I'm similar to you I like to try new things and see what works and see what doesn't and sometimes I'll beat myself up if there's one thing that I thought was going to be a great idea and it maybe turned out maybe not to be that great and my heart wasn't in it so it's kind of you know juggling that so as an entrepreneur yourself like, is there any kind of techniques you have to just kind of remind yourself that you don't have to be perfect, that you don't have to juggle all of the hats all of the time? Like, how do you balance that as well as you possibly can with your family as well? Yeah, again, it's checking balance and looking more at integration. How am I integrating all of my loves? And if my health and my personal relationships are not doing well, that I need to slow down with my work. That's mm-hmm. how I do. And then sometimes I need to, and I try and when I've got some things amping up with work, I try and get some other supports and awareness in my personal life in place. So we're working together. Listen, perfectionism, Brene talks about it being, I call it like, she calls it the 20 ton shield, but shame's B, it's shame's BFF. <laughs> yeah. So if, if perfection, perfection hates feedback, is only looking at one result, doesn't want to disappoint anybody, doesn't want feedback, has no tolerance for criticism. I don't want to lead that way. Mm-hmm. But I know when those parts come up and start to overwhelm me, I have to pause and get curious. So when I see these trailheads of shame or perfectionism or comparison or criticism, then I pause. So I look at it more as data. Oh, I see this. So that's that critical awareness. And I go, oh, I know what those are. Let me take a pause. Let me check in with a friend. Let me journal. Let me go for a walk. Let me, whatever that pause is. And I'm, I don't, I'm not saying those things to be like pithy, but we don't pause enough mm. because pausing is really painful. 
Because yeah. I mean, our nervous systems are like, what are we, what else are we going to feel? Pausing when you're anxious could feel like hell, right? So I'm not talking full-blown panic attack, but when I start to see the beginning of these things, that's how I catch it. And sometimes I just have to shut down the calendar and get down to the bare minimum. And there's a lot of privilege in that. I'm well aware mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. I'm well aware of how much privilege is oozing from a lot of what I'm saying. Um, but that's really what I do. And I, I'm not in this to be a slave to what everyone else thinks. I'm in this so I can create a life and do things that are aligned with what matters most and be with the people I love the most mm-hmm. and not to go and get accolades from other people. So at the heart of it, though, is where shame, shame has us put mm-hmm. our worthiness on the table for negotiation. And life is so much more free when less people have a say over my worthiness. And they really was like very, very few people could speak to me into that. It doesn't mean that critics, whether people I know casually or um, anonymous blog post, Facebook, mm, whatever people. Trolls. That, that doesn't mean they won't sting. I think that that's like to not care. That's mm-hmm. not human. So I, I think community though has been everything for me. Since I've had to pretty much full on edit everyone in my life. And it started, I mean, this is at the end of the interview, but I mean, it started seven years ago when we found out my daughter was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And literally she has helped us build a life, like how we wanted to lead and parent in her life Mm -hmm. and set up the world that if people are like, oh, I can't handle her incessant questions or whatever this, I'm like, fine, then do you elsewhere. Yeah. So that was hard because some people that were really close to us or even related to us, it was different. Yeah. But she's she's chosen who our people are because they roll with her being her. Yeah. And I think that value, that's been something that's been a big guiding, big guidepost for me um, in the decisions I make. And I do it deeply and perfectly because work is my number one number. Mm-hmm. I can do with work. And so that's when I... I'm learning that, but I think age <laughs> starts to say you can't act like it's tw- you're 20 years old anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and and I want to make sure that these practices, it really is critical awareness. Mm. It really is being able to speak it, and then being able to have people see you as not perfect. If you can't tolerate those things, then shame is running your life. Yeah. Is there any kind of you know just simple techniques? we can do i know journalist journaling was something that uh, you had talked to me about a long time ago and just little things like that that can help on a day-to-day basis you know here are the questions that i try and ask myself when i feel that flash that charge of like oh whatever the word is that goes with the right the in my body i ask where am i feeling it so that process, actually, if I can do that, it separates me from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I know, to, oh my gosh, I'm feeling it in my stomach. And I know now there's certain places in my body that hold certain types of things. I hold shame in my gut and I get all flush in red. I'm a redhead. And so yeah. I can all red easily. Um, and then I, here's where I go. And then I ask, how do I feel towards it? Mm-hmm. And, and then I can see the judgment usually like, who do you think you are? You should be over this. Why are you still struggling with this? You know, and then I see these different parts come up around that or this terror that this is going to hijack and I got so much to do and I'm going to miss deadlines. Yeah. You know, so I really, that's kind of my practice. We call it a U-turn, a Y-O-U-turn. Mm. And I check 
check in with where I'm feeling at my body, how I feel towards that emotion that's being held on my body. And then I tease out and I start to map those inner influences, kind of my inner team. And then listen, and then the ideal, and this is the hard work as I start to extend compassion, even to the parts that are, feel like they're making my life miserable. Mm. And then that's just like, oh, this sucks. Oh, there's a lot of judgment here. And I say that's, and and I I really am recognizing that this probably sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I've been at this for a long time and I've done an incredible amount of my own trauma work (laughs) around this. And, and, but to me, I'm on a mission to help other people start to build critical awareness and to build that shame resilience so that this the U-turn and then to recognize that curiosity is your superpower. What am I feeling? Where am I feeling it? How do I feel towards it? What, what do, what do various parts of me need? And if we do that curiosity without an agenda, which is weird and so hard to do. um, But those are the practices um, that I, I do. I think, and everyone has their own thing where they can get grounded. When we lose presence from being in our body in the moment, it's hard to do anything. So we do whatever works for you to get back in your body. Some people that's moving. Some people that's the called the shock and awe shower, sixty second ice cold shower. Ooh, yeah. Um, your brain will go from you suck, you suck to get me warm, get me warm. Yeah. It's a band aid. Um, but yeah. So that really, it's, it's just a starting to get curious. And it feels like it's not enough. Some people just want to get rid of it. But if that's the agenda, you're not going to. Yeah. But it starts with you leading your system that way, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. I think that's amazing. Words, advice. Um, I can't thank you enough for sharing this with us today. I'll definitely post links to um, both your Rebecca Cheng website and Potentia as well. I know you're based in San Diego. So anyone local should definitely look up Potentia Therapy. And I'll share all your social handles because I know you're just like a wealth of you know, resources on your social media as well. And I think that will be incredibly valuable to our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for having this podcast. It's helping so many. So I really appreciate you and your leadership. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Now, please do check out Rebecca's work over on her website, rebeccaching.com. You can find out more about Potentia, her integrative mental health practice in San Diego, by visiting potentiatherapy.com. Rebecca is on Facebook and Instagram at RebeccaChingMFT and Twitter at R. Bass Ching and of course I'll share all of this in the show notes so you can just click on those links. As always I'd love to know what you thought of our conversation. Head over to the comments section on our website uncomfortable.blog or on any of our social media channels. We are on Facebook and Instagram at uncomfortable.blog and Twitter at uncomfy underscore podcast. You can support our podcast by signing up to be a patron and pledging a very small amount per month so that we can keep on running. Visit uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate for more information. Now, thanks again for listening, folks. Go out there and please get uncomfortable.